Our guest today has been providing MCAT prep for just under 30 years. He's going to share his best MCAT prep advice with you today. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 426th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Before I introduce our guest for today, I'd like to invite you to watch Accepted's on-demand webinar, How to Create Successful Secondary Applications, which I presented last week. Learn how you can use secondary applications to show fit and snag interview invitations. You can watch for free at accepted.com slash 426 webinar. Our guest today is Todd Bennett, whom I met many, many years ago. He is the CEO and an MCAT instructor at the Berkeley Review, which he co-founded in 1992. Todd, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk. Thanks for having me. Appreciate this. My pleasure. Now, how did you get involved in MCAT prep many moons ago? You know, like so much of life, it's serendipity. So uh, way back in 1988, I had a job teaching organic chemistry as an adjunct uh, lecturer at UC Irvine for organic chemistry. Okay. And one summer there was nothing to teach and realizing that, hey, I need money for rent, went to the job listing on campus. And there was an interesting offer tutoring chemistry and physics uh, to postback students trying to get into med school, a bridge program through uh, Dave Hacker and, and Charles Ipsen. I signed up for it and fell in love with it. Greatest teaching job in the world. Motivated students, um, smart, dedicated, and best of all, from a teaching standpoint, no grading. You were purely on their side and, and working your way through it. And so that summer, I wrote up notes and practice questions and put together a pretty good booklet. And without my even noticing it, it became kind of an underground sensation around UC Irvine and then Southern California. And uh, somebody in San Diego got wind of it that ran an SAT company and said, hey, what do you think about doing MCAT? And so we started something called hyperlearning at the time. Um, ends up the people I was with, honestly, I don't think one of them had any interest other than making quick companies, selling it, another quick company and selling it. And so it was on the selling block immediately and thought, no, no, I like what I'm doing. I, I don't want to switch. And so in 92, we started the Berkeley Review, grabbed one of the bio teachers, a physics teacher new, and, and just went for it. And amazingly, it just, it, it shot off like wildfire. I mean, at the time it was just really needed. Right. So, it was, I remember my clients in the nineties and, and they were, they were just in love with it. Uh, yeah. Constantly heard about it. Now let's turn to the MK. Well, do you want to bring us up to date a little bit in terms of what's been happening with the Berkeley Review? Uh, just basically, uh, I mean, we changed with each test. So since we right. started, there's been three changes in the test. And each one's been brought a new challenge. And I, I mean, I know this is probably blasphemous to say because it's stressful for a lot of people. But the MCAT's a really well-written and well-thought-out test. You can reason your way through it. And it really does test pertinent skills in, in analyzing data, material, and getting you to work well with things you maybe don't fam- familiarize with at first. And in time, you realize, hey, this, I get this. This is simple. Um, we've continued to do classes. We COVID forced us to go online. We were very antiquated for many years and uh, got up to speed. And it's just, I guess our fear of going online had a lot to do with losing the personal touch. Knowing each person individually has been key. And one of the 
biggest godsends of going online that I never thought of in a million years, it caters to the shy student, the student who can now really? uh, type in. Yeah, because they can type a question in private chat. Well, and in particular, there's one student I have in mind who, uh, when we were live up till last March, uh, March of uh, 2020, she never asked a question in class. She'd come up after class, wait till everybody left, and she'd ask a few questions. All of a sudden, in chat box, she was, I mean, she was typing like a stenographer. It was awesome. And it was, she came out of her shell and realized this is a great medium for certain students that yeah. just never would have thought. And so I fallen in love with online teaching. And a year and a half ago, if you would have asked me, I would have never, ever thought that would happen. So it's kind of where we're at today. And basically at this point, then anybody anywhere in the United States, to be sure, maybe even in the world could take a class from the Berkeley Review, right? Yeah. If there's, if there's space, we, we're going to still stay small. We've, we've had that company decision that we're going to stay small, but yeah. And that allows you to maintain that personal connection to the students. It's so important. So important. Yeah. Okay, great. Now let's turn to the MCAT itself and how the Berkeley Review recommends that students prepare for it. When should pre-meds plan to take the MCAT? That's probably one of the most common questions out there. Yeah. And there's no real easy answer that the answer really comes down to when they've mastered material in the really key subjects. Got to have your biochem down pat. I mean, that, that should be the number one thing people go by. Not have I taken biochem, but have I taken it at the high enough level that, I'm, that I feel prepared for it? Because MCAT's going to throw a ton of biochem at them. And in most curricula for most, most schools, by the time they take biochem, they've got all their OCHEM, their GCHEM, their physics, their molecular biology, genetics, and cell. They've done most of the other classes necessary to be ready. So I think that's their guiding light is as soon as they feel like they've mastered biochem, it's time. They're ready. Okay. That's, that's very clear guidance. How does an applicant know how much time he or she should budget for the MCAT? I'm guessing it varies from individual to individual, but do you have any advice or guidelines for that question? Yeah. The hardest thing to do is self-assess for people. I mean, everybody's looking for this diagnostic test that tells you what you need to do and it doesn't exist because every okay. test... I mean, the thing is, most people miss questions, not because they don't know the material, but maybe misread the question, misunderstood, misinterpreted what they're asked. And so because of that, you can't really tell content-wise. So in general, this is a very generic guideline, but if you can invest anywhere from 40 to 50 hours of true studying per week, then six to eight weeks is typically enough to do your, your initial content review and then the first, what I call phase one and phase two of your homework process. The first one where you reacquaint, you get beat up, and that's fine. The second one where you um, master the timing. But usually six to eight weeks is enough uh, for that aspect. Then you need two weeks of just unadulterated pounding through realistic questions. AAMC releases a lot of material. It's a must. Anybody who tells you to skip it is crazy. Every single AAMC piece of material is essential. Those two weeks, everything but the full length. Um, and then phase three of homework, if you happen to be working through our materials. And then the last three weeks is all about full lengths and not just taking them. For every uh, hour you spend taking them, you should be spending two hours going over it. And as I like to say in class, as you go through it, write a note to future self and say, dear future self, you might want to look at this equation. You might want to say that, look at the table first or divide data instead of subtract, but come up with a game plan, something you want to tell yourself on test day to remember to do. And as long as you do that, as long as you can honestly say, Whatever score I got, fine. But if I, I could get five more questions right in each section, you've done exactly what you should be doing. You're, you're, you're moving upward. Sounds good. What about people who prepared 
I thought they were preparing correctly and I didn't get that good a score. And they may be taking the test for the second or third time. Do you have yeah, any suggestions for them? One. Yeah. And, and the reality, for whatever reason, uh, about half our students uh, are studied for at least once before, some on their own, some with another company, some did something and they come here. Best advice on day one, forget what you did before and instead analyze what you should have done. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to self-assess. But uh, I think one of the things that that people feel really confident is they listen to videos. And let's face it, con videos are really well done. They're polished. They're excellent. They give great information. And you walk out thinking, wow, I totally get it because they explain things really well. People walk out of lectures feeling really strong. I totally get it. And they get this sense of, of confidence. And then on the test, suddenly it's not in the format they're used to. It's in a convoluted format tied with other things. It's like, ah, what went wrong? What went wrong is usually practice. So second time through, you have to change your entire approach. You have to, if you emphasized review the first time, then it's all about practice. If you only did practice tests the first time, then it's about solidifying your content and figuring out ways to recall it, mnemonics. Um, It's doing the things you didn't do the first time. And it's honestly assessing where you went wrong. And honestly, some of it sometimes just comes down to confidence. I mean, I've seen people go up a second time on nothing more than just saying, you know what, I'm tired of this test. I want to get over and done with. Going with the right attitude really makes a huge difference. Right. Well, you mentioned a minute ago that it takes about 40, 50 hours a week of study. That's a full-time job. It is a full-time job. So, you know, for students in college, I think the, the logical time to try and take it would be summertime or else to yeah, take a lo- lighter load uh, in college itself. And I mean, if somebody's already out and working, it can be really hard to get those hours in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's tough. It's a tough There's exam. no doubt about it. Yeah. The, and it's, it's a life, it's a life change. It's a lifestyle change. It truly is. <laughs> but it's temporary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a temporary lifestyle change. It's temporary, right. Uh, what about non-traditional applicants who have been out of school for, let's say, two, three, five years? Yeah, it's it's. we get a lot of that. Average age in our class is 31 right now. Oh, wow. Um, just, yeah, it's really high. And so the, most students we have are in the same situation. And the reality is, and it takes about a week for this thought to really settle in, anything you forgot from school, you forgot in the first two or three weeks after the final. And the reality is, whether it's been three months or three years, you probably are not in that much of a different situation. Whatever's going to stick will stick. Whatever is missed has missed. And so you just have to accept it. Like, look, I have to rebuild this pool of information no matter what, whether I'm doing it immediately after school or a long time after school. And the really wonderfully surprising thing is second time looking at material, it comes back faster. You learn how to learn as you go through school. And I think most people think they learn the material. And honestly, I think they'd learn how to absorb and process the material. So second time it goes faster. And I'm always pleasantly surprised by how much people know who said they didn't know much on day one, that it comes back and they apply it. And it all integrates. What you learned in GChem carries over to biochem. What you learned biochem applies to cell. And that excitement of how you connect things, it's powerful. It's fuel. So I think be positive. Come back in and realize, yeah, I got some work to do but it's going to be easier this time. It'll be easier the second time you're, you're learning it than the first That's time. That's true. That's very true. Um, is there any one section of the MCAT that tends to trip people up? 
chem physics has the lowest curve. I mean, mm -hmm. in, and it's the one that you have to have a different mindset. So for instance, the biosci section, there's a certain aspect of memorization and just understanding of lab logic of how things work. If you learn how, how to, what you're doing in the lab, you're going to do well in that section. Psych -soch, you memorize enough terminology, speak the language, it's going to go a little bit better. Cars is cars, it's a technique-based one. But chem physics, you have to think like an engineer um, and apply it to medicine. And common sense, it, and I think it's just, honestly, you get through school and you're not rewarded for common sense. And then all of a sudden, here's a section of the test that emphasizes common sense. Like what M's, like put a stent into somebody's vessel. Why do you do this? And so you, a lot of people will be able to tell me all about the, the technique and all this, but the general reason you got to have a wider pipe, the wider it gets more fluid to go through through. And just that simple thought right there is going to get you a question or two. And it's changing your mindset that a lot of people just don't. I mean, for physics, chemistry, it's usually uh, memorize all the equations you can show your work box, your answer, pray for partial credit on your midterms and finals. On the MCAT, it's apply what you know to some seemingly unrelated system. And it just takes a while to get used to. Not that it's hard to do in time. It's just unfamiliar at first. I think that's a struggle. Right. What are the most common mistakes that you see in MCAT prep? Uh, what are the mistakes that many applicants tend to make? The, the biggest one by far. And I, and I dare say, I, I guess 80% of the people studying for them can't make the same mistake. They emphasize content because what happens in college, you memorize content, you regurgitate on midterm or final, you get a good grade. So you've already been taught. You've been trained that memorizing equals success. The people memorize, do all their flashcards, watch all these videos. They're spending countless hours taking notes, reading uh, books with no questions in them, doing videos. And then they, they just aren't prepared to now look at things out of the context, out of their comfort zone. And I mean, simple phrase, practice, practice, practice. You hear it all the time. You play a sport, you play an instrument, you do anything. And they tell you training and practice. Well, that's exactly what it is. And too many people put way, 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 way too much emphasis on trying to feel like they can memorize and recall it. Like flashcard learning is the, it's such a false sense of security, in what you know. And I think if, if people would just have the confidence that, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do this passage. I'm going to get two thirds of them wrong. And I'm going to feel terrible about myself, but I'm going to grade it. I'm going to learn it in context. And then when I see a patch like, passage like that next time, I'll get 50% right. And then I'll get beat up a little bit, be upset and I'll get 60% and climb that ladder. Climb. There's a thing called the, uh, the Dunning-Kruger curve, the learning curve. What's that? Oh, it's wonderful. You, you spike up, you have all this confidence because you're, you're reading things like videos and all that feel like you're doing really well. Then also when you have to apply it, and then through application and success, you climb back up to being good at it. Nobody likes this part of it. It's painful, but you have to go through it. Right. And getting things wrong is so okay. It's fine. It's part of the process. It doesn't it's fine. It's fine good. in prep. It's not so fine on the test itself. Yeah, exactly. And you do enough climbing up till you're ready. Right. Right. So what are your top three MCAT prep tips? Obviously, uh, practice, practice is something you've emphasized. Yeah, practice, but. practice, and practice are going to be all of it. But I, I think more than anything, um, you got to learn to think like the test writer. I mean, that I and that's true of uh, tests in general, but especially of multiple choice. The test, the four sections are written very differently. You have to figure out what is minutia and what's important. And that's that takes practice. And you can only do it by going through the double AMC materials. 
Speaking of which, I think um, one of the things that a lot of people don't do, and, and they miss just a golden opportunity, AAMC has put out a book, a guide to the MCAT that has an exact listing of the topics and tons of sample questions. They are really, really transparent about exactly what's on their exam, the style mm -hmm. of writing, what they expect. And I can't believe the fact that the majority of our students don't look at that book. It's available to them and they don't look at it. And it's like, that's exactly what you should be looking at. Figure out what's on the test, then study for it. Don't study, 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 and then try to figure out what's on the test. It's wrong order. So get that book. That, that's huge. And then get good at, good at reading graphs, tables, charts, and data. A lot of their passages are based on experiments. And they'll ask you, like, what happened in this step? It's a matter of reading and seeing a number it went up or went down on the table and then knowing what that means. And, and it's often really simple questions hidden in a really challenging package of these numbers that they, or data they don't recognize. And once you see, like, oh, I get it, that's simple, it, it, you're, it goes much, much better. So read tables, get the AMC guideline and learn to think like a test writer. You do those and you're going to be fine on this test. You're going to do really well. Great Takes advice. time, but you'll do fine. Right. It does take a, yeah. 40 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your non-paying full-time job. How about tips for the day before, the week before, and the day of the exam itself? I mean, should they be cramming cr like cra crazy at that time or should they take a day off? What should, what should be happening? I'm so glad you asked this because honestly, my opinion on this over the years was ambivalence, whatever somebody did. And um, it's, I'm trying to say this in the right way, but I had the amazing fortune of, of becoming very good friends with somebody who's a, uh, in their sport, their five-time world champ. They coach a U.S. team. Um, know another like through him another olympic gold medalist and been able to have lunch and sit and talk and figure out what do you guys do and to my surprise i got more helpful insight from what they talked about of, of what they did to train than all the years I'd, I'd gone to classes and seminars and things and of course i mean they're the greatest at what they do so they're gonna have some good insights but both of them independently had the exact same thing to say about preparing the last 24 hours are the most important, not to train, but to get in the right mind frame. You've trained all this time. You know the test. You know the questions. It's time to stop second-guessing yourself. It's time to start trusting your training. Um, you're going to feel stress. You're going to feel anxiety. To, if you don't, something's wrong. And both of them independently said, embrace the moment. Let your body tell you what's going on and do what it says. Do a test run. Go to the center, make sure you know, have a backup plan, know where you're going to get, have a backup ride in mind. Take care of all the periphery things, know where the center is, know how you're going to think, visualize what you're going to do. Go back and read all the notes you wrote to yourself of what you want to do on test day. But use that day to just get your mind confident in the right spot. Don't study new material, review and, and coordinate and organize other material and take care of you. You're training for four to five months. That's all you needed, but believe it, believe in yourself. And it was empowering. I mean, it was friggin' wonderful to sit and listen to some of what they had to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt awesome. It was, and, and it's so true. And I realized what they were saying. And ironically, one of them, his dad's a doctor. So he was totally into like, the fact that, well, tell me about pre-meds. Cause I think he would have been a pre-med if he wasn't a Olympic athlete. <laughs> yeah. Was cool. Actually, one of the people I interviewed was trying, I mean, we're not, I don't think they're, are Olympics this year. I'm not, not even sure at the moment, but she was trying for the Olympic fencing team. 
Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but she was trying for the Olympic fencing team while in medical school. That's wonderful. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was a very interesting interview. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay. So there are lots of MCAT prep options out there, you know, test prep companies and and non-commercial options. How is the Berkeley Review different? Um, Just we're small and personal. We're boutique-y. We've, over the years, we had the chance to definitely expand and become big. And this was a, a, a decision we've made lots and lots of times um, at meetings every three or four years when we would come up again. We just don't want to be corporate. We don't want to be big. Um, we take pride in the fact that every we know every student by name. And I mean, 30 years later, if I run into a student, I will still know who they are. And it's just, it's nice. It's a really good feeling. And um, we emphasize teaching. We're the only MCAT only company. So we're, we're the freedom. The, the typical course, the typical company, typical approach would be take a test and build down. So test logic fed down. Um, I don't think it works that way. I think it's better take the test itself, reverse engineer it and build back up. What skills do you need to do well on this test and make them MCAT specific, not what is good in general about test taking and let's apply it. And so I think we're just completely opposite of, of all of them. And honestly, it doesn't work for everybody. The truth of the matter is some people just want to be told, memorize this, memorize this, memorize this, and it's great. For the right student, it's, it's the perfect method. It, the person who's willing to think and work hard and gets excited in a geeky way when something you learn in cars actually helps you in psych social or something you learn in psych helps with your neuro, which helps with your physics. So, I mean, be, be nerdy and excited and we're a perfect match for you. <laughs> so that, that's who we okay. are. Now, TBR offers, I still could offer, you have some in-person classes now, don't you? Or are they all closed at this point? Uh, they're closed at this point in time, just because we're in, we're in some pretty high, high risk zones. Um, our plan was to go back live this summer. Um, but student opinion was just so few wanted it. Yeah. So we will do some office hours in person. We're going to do some things, but we're all the classes are going to be online at this, this point. And you also have lots and lots of self-study material. So my question to you would be, to whom would you recommend the self-study t- material and to whom would you recommend the classes? Or do you like a combination of both? I mean, you know, which, what's the fit there? Yeah, that's somebody, you know, the best advice for anything, like what car should you get? Yeah. I don't know. Test drive them. See the yeah. one that fits and, and feels right. I think that's honestly what too few people do. Sit in a lecture. Because for mm-hmm. some people, lectures are awesome. They organize everything. You have a chance to ask questions. Office hours, I mean, I get pretty regulars at office hours every single time with good questions or they're here to other people's questions. For them, the class is perfect. But we always get a student who just comes in, checks in at the start, checks out at the end, never hear from them. They might have been better off doing it on their own. And I think sitting in on a class before you drop two, three, four grand, I mean, a few classes out there I think are 11 grand or something crazy like that. Sit in, test it out, try it out, make sure it's for you before committing the time and the money. And I think people are pretty good at knowing what works for them. And and they'll figure it out. And admittedly, yeah, we get a lot of people who tried to study on their own and didn't work. That's fine too. They're going to do fine. They're going to get in medical school. It's just going to be an extra year. The journey is going to be a little different. But I mean, it, it, it works. So... Yeah, I don't know if I answered the question, but I think I it think really you answered comes down it honestly, the and then that, that it's not, not something you can really advise a, a general audience. It's something that the individual has to try out and see for yeah. themselves. Take a test drive. 
Is there any offering at, at TBR that's particularly popular? Um, pretty much everybody is the full course. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I get a lot of requests for private tutoring. Mm-hmm. And for years, I sort of resisted from that. But I think this year, we're going to start doing a little more of that. But generally still, most people, I, I think most people just want to sit down and be told like what I should do in a whole package. And and then they figure it out as they go where, where they need the help, which officers they need, which uh, like where they where they're feeling strong and weak. And what do you see in your crystal ball for the for the MCAT going forward for MCAT prep? You know, MCAT going forward, some of the things that I'm really curious about is um, and COVID's going to force this issue. There are some med schools that supposedly are going to start weighing the MCAT less to to during this period. Well, What's I think Stanford went MCAT. I think Stanford and the University of Wisconsin went MCAT optional. Yeah, exactly. So they're not they're not considering. And some schools are weighing it less. Some schools are ignoring it for now. It'll be interesting to see how the admissions process goes. So the MCAT um, coming out of COVID is going to be different. And who's your guess is as good as anybody's. Um, there'll be schools that'll still keep it. Some schools that might use it as optional. Some will ignore it. Um, and and we'll see. As far as prep companies go. Um, as long as there's a test, there's going to be people wanting to take it. And I think we all need to adjust to the fact that most students, most of their learning is with thumbs and a screen and not reading a book these days. And so that's what we, we have to adapt to that. And, um, I mean, there's been some, it's been a very interesting personal year. I mean, I'm the last one standing of our entire company that, that started it out now. And so it's, it's going to go in, in whatever direction the, the people need, basically. So more private tutoring, um, some more, like some different offerings, fewer class, uh, like, uh, like smaller classes in the sense that maybe science only. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll invent, yeah, we'll invent ourselves as we, as we go. We kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So. Is there anything you would have liked me to ask you that I haven't asked? Yeah, it's funny that because uh, every interview always asks, do you have any questions for us? And they always have those. And and so I was thinking about it. I, I think your questions are wonderful. I appreciate uh, so many of them. Um, oh, thank you. I think the only thing like that, that, that badge of honor, that pride we wear is like how our students do and what the cost is. Because those are the two things that we really stand out. Consider it asked. Yeah. Um, I am so proud of the fact the two, the two statistical features that mean so much to me is our class average is over 510. Oh, that's um, great. Astounding numbers. We also cater to people that, that are serious about it. So, I mean, it, there, there's a lot to that. It's also a selectivity process in that. But if you're committed and you work really hard, you can get a great score. The numbers are there. Um, that high number is because there are a lot of people 520 and above. And I, I take pride that every year I've done this, I've had at least one and oftentimes very many people in the top 1%. And it's an attitude. It, it's a way of looking at the test. And there's people who have it, but don't, aren't confident enough to use it. And, and I'm hopeful that's what to share. And there's other people who just like, didn't realize you can look at things a little differently and, and they take it to heart and do really well. And so I can love you, the results we get. Sure. Can you define the yeah. attitude? Yeah, a cockiness of, you know what, I know this material well enough, and I'm going to be able to figure it out in context, and I don't care what graph or data or chart they give me. I'm going to do just fine on this. Confidence. Um, and yeah, confidence is so key on this test. And then the cost. I mean, it, it, I think anybody who does the math thinks about it. We're not corporate. 
for the companies that are corporate, they have shareholders and everything. So of course you're paying 3000 bucks, probably 1500 is paying a CEO and their staff salary. We don't have that in our, in our thing. So it's just, you get so much more for your money. So we're uh, under 2000 and you get more for your money. Pretty and good. it's it's not that we're it, and it's funny because in in business we're told no you should look, raise your price to look comparable to everybody else and I know it might look sketchy somebody goes on and says wow why are they cheaper we're not going to raise it just to play the business game if, we, if we're getting somebody signed up because of business game we don't want them we'd rather have the person who knows we're good and is here because we're good so I, I, I'm I'm proud of that I'm proud that we're reasonably priced and just get stellar scores. That they're both things to be proud of. I think you have you have justification to be proud. Yeah. And I want to thank you for, for sharing that for information. Years. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. 30 years almost. You said nineteen eighty two, so you got one more year and it's thirty years. Yeah, we complete this year and we're thirty years at the end of this fall, right. which is just and in an industry where we weren't supposed to make it. So it's pretty, pretty cool, pretty exciting. Yeah, right. Todd, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Where can listeners and MCAT test takers learn more about the Berkeley Review? Um, two ways to do it. We're small enough. Email me if you have questions, like content questions or something. So Todd, T-O-D-D, Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, MCAT, M-C-A-T, at yahoo.com. And then our website is just berkeleyreview.com. So B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y-R-E-V-I-W.com. Wonderful. But I think... It, yeah, reach out and we're we're pretty small and pretty good about getting back. Certainly, Todd has been very quick in getting back to me whenever we've corresponded. So I'll, I'll vouch for that. Thanks again, Todd. We'll include links in the show notes at except.com slash 426, both to the Berkeley Review website that Todd just mentioned, as well as to other related articles and interviews. Listener, thank you too for joining the Berkeley Reviews, Todd Bennett and me for our 426th episode. A quick reminder, sign up to watch How to Create Successful Secondary Applications. This on-demand webinar is free, and you really don't want to miss it. Register now at accepted.com slash 426 webinar. At least you don't want to miss it if you have secondary applications coming in. And a final request. If you find the show worthwhile, please share the good word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your doing so helps us spread the news about Admissions Straight Talk. You can leave that review easily really easily by going to lovethepodcast.com slash AST. Again, that's lovethepodcast.com slash AST. Thanks again for coming. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.